32 counties united by people. Her name is usually Una and my name is Andrea and this is United Ireland. Every week on United Ireland we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. Um, now on this podcast we talk a lot about the problems we face as a community, nay a planet, um, as climate change continues to take hold and ravish the earth. Stunning. Even though we do always strive to provide solutions and things you can do, it can still all feel a bit defeating and overwhelming. Hands up if that's you. Well, not today, my friends. Because today we are joined by Catherine and Ash from Pocket Forests. Um, Pocket Forests is an initiative that recreates the ecosystem of a forest, including trees, shrubs and wildflowers in your garden or community. So not like those crappy mono uh, forests of Sipka Spruce um, where they're dead inside. This is bringing the full ecosystem uh, to small to small spaces, maybe bigger spaces. But anyway, we'll get into that in the main um, interview. But speaking of ecosystems that need your help, have you signed up for the United Ireland ecosystem on Patreon? I am pretty sure I'm going to be writing continuation links in Orte soon. If I keep up with these seamless transitions, I am absolutely proud of myself for that one, to be honest. But why don't you plant a tree of knowledge or spread some wildflowers of awareness by signing up to support our lovely blooming content? <laughs> Sorry, screaming at myself. Um, as an aside, well, not really an aside, as part of that, um, if you haven't listened to this month's byline, uh, which is our monthly series uh, where Una interviews uh, journalists who are breaking the important stories. Um, uh, this one is the Sunday Business Post, Killian Woods. Um, I personally am obsessed with them. Well, not personally obsessed with Killian, that's kind of creepy. Um, I'm obsessed with all the tea he does be spilling on Sundays, um, primarily on the shambolic housing mess we've gotten ourselves into. Um, and he doesn't just, I suppose, tell you the news that's been uncovered. He he looks and analyzes and comes out with this, the ongoing issues and systemic um, approaches and um, kind of, yeah, listen in and you'll find out what he does. Um, and if you are reading his pieces, you'll understand why I really enjoy them. Um, but as part of that episode, he predicted that we will be soon entering a rent strike if things continue as they are. And sure, look, who are we to argue? Um, but jump on to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and sign up with us for as little as three euro a month if you do enjoy and value the content that we create and provide. Um, and judging by our listening figures, you do. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't done it yet, do do consider it. Three euro a month. I have to put in a coffee analogy, don't I? I'm not going to. Um, okay, that's my, sell, that's my sales pitch. 
Um, so now we will move on to the state of the nation. Um, the state of the nation, I've kept it kind of like small this week. I'm on my own. I am unapologetically in holiday mode. Una is away on holidays, um, which is why you can't hear her dulcet tones. She did, however, do the main app uh, interview part uh, before she went. So you, you still get the best of both of us in between flitting about our holiday modes and um, but yeah, so I'm going to skim through the state of the nation and we will all continue on in our silly season of August um, living our best pandemic holiday lives, question mark. Um, first up, state of the nation, Afghanistan. Um, it's heartbreaking what is happening in Afghanistan. Um, Joe Biden has come out and unapologetically said that there was no way of pulling out without getting messy. And when you watch the videos of people clinging to wings of planes as they take off, uh, the amount of people sitting on the military planes with nothing with them but the clothes they're wearing, um, it just is very upsetting as the humanity of what is happening that can be seen as a bit of a mess. Um, there's a lot of questions, not questions, I suppose, but um, the Taliban has pull, has been pulling out a lot of PR um, saying, look, things are going to be different now. We're not going to be mean and evil. Um, and as for women, uh, what happened the last time the Taliban were in control? Um, women, there was a woman killed actually the other day for wearing, having too tight clothes under her burqa. Um, there's a lot of fear and worry and anxiety. That's an understatement really, isn't it? Um, around what's going to happen. Um, at the moment, the Taliban have not gone near the airport, so people have been flying out if they can. Um, there's a lot of uh, projects where people who have permission to leave but can't afford to leave, you can donate your air miles to them. Um, yeah, it just is is really upsetting the the cost of of war and what it looks like, and what more importantly, what it feels like. Um, in other news, there has been a big bizarre carry on uh this week there was a meeting with Catherine Martin and the events industry um and during that meeting uh, there was a hope that there would be a roadmap provided so what the last industry left um there's no plans there is no discussions about what is happening um everything seems to be centered around schools and um it can be very disheartening when you don't have any skin in the schools game and you're seeing things about like it's very important for children and their mental health um, and not to get all selfish. But what about the mental health of people who find uh, joy in gigs, whose job is gigs, who creating is uh, gigs and performing 
anyway, you know how we feel on the podcast. But during the meeting, Catherine Martin came out and said that she had asked to go on the COVID committee um, and she had been refused and that she had presented a plan, a roadmap, and that it had been refused as well by government. So essentially saying that um, it felt like a bit of a power play of like, I'm speculating, but saying, look, I've presented all of this. I'm on your side. I'm doing what I can. No one will listen, Um, which is fine to put pressure on the government and the leaders of the party to listen. But then it also kind of highlights, I am the Minister for Culture with no voice in this discussion. Um, And... Yeah, it's 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 getting it's getting a bit much. Something drastic needs to happen. Like at this stage, it will be very surprising if there is not an industry out protesting. The events we've had, the pilot events, seem to be a distraction. They prove nothing. They just prove that six people could sit in a pod um, on their own. Um, we need to look at ways of how we get through this and how we can live through this and not just keep things closed. And it, we, I've spoken so many times about this, of how it feels like, again, it's things that are pleasurable and that people like entertainment can just be put on the back burner. It's like, and why it has to be justified that these are people's jobs. But the fact that arts and entertainment are important, they got us through so much. Um, they are a way of society dreaming. They're a way of bringing people together. It's a way of, it's creating a society. And without that, we simply remain an economy. And we uh, we can't stress how important it is anymore. And I, um, there's a lot of people who are doing a lot of work on this. Um, I tip my cap to them and hopefully there will be some resolution. Um, there was a meeting about uh, the roadmap that's going to come out for September. No mention of the entertainment industry. Hopefully the pressure that's been on the last few days will have some effect. Um, speaking of effects, an arrest warrant went out for Professor Dolores Cahill um, from her attendance at a UK protest. She re- didn't turn up for her bail, so her there's an arrest warrant out for her. Um, uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, also interesting, I'm so absolutely depressing. There's continuing court interventions against psychopaths. This time in Dean's Grange, uh, businesses are preparing legal action over a cycle route. The cycle route is to get children safely to school, primarily. And you just have to wonder if businesses are coming out against safe cycle routes, um, uh, what hope have we? And I was so interesting this week to see friends who are traveling around the world, who are living in like different countries and places. One friend in particular is in Valencia and she's like, uh, yeah, it's great. It's really easy to get around. The psychopaths are really safe. And why are we so allergic to having safe, active travel? Um, the car, the car lobby is just out of control. Um, and we keep talking about immense traffic disruption. Um, grand, like we need to learn how to have 
a cities, a city, cities that are providing for everyone and not just car users. Uh, also, another piece of Depresso Martini news. Uh, there's a piece in the Business Post at the weekend that blackouts are looming as AirGrid has confirmed it won't be importing 200 megawatts, I think it's megawatts, MWs of emergency gas, um, which means there's going to be severe pressure on the national grid. And we all know what that means for all the data centers who are taking all our water and all our energy um, to run them. We're not going to have electricity, but we'll have a lot of data if you can charge your phone or turn on your TV or your Netflix streaming system. At least you'll be able to stream, but you may not be able to turn your appliances on. But enough about that. It's time to talk forests. Pocket forests in particular. So are you... Or do you feel completely paralyzed when you read all these dire uh, scenarios with regards to our climate and biodiversity emergency? Um, have you grown sick of generations of um, Sitka spruce cluttering our hillsides? Uh, do you want to do something in, different in your community or in your own garden to uh, change things um, even for your immediate, immediate closest environment, which really is where the the, the change should start. Um, Catherine Cleary and Ash Conrad Jones uh, are the two people behind Pocket Forests in Ireland. As you will have heard on this podcast many times, Ireland has one of the lowest forest covers in Europe. I think it's around 11% or something compared to around 40% on average. We have such a wealth of history and culture and storytelling um, and connection to trees in this country, yet we don't grow them or encounter them even uh, as nearly as much as we should um, should do. So we're going to talk about what is going on with pocket forests. First of all, welcome, Catherine and Ash. Thanks, Ada. Thanks. Ash, I'm enjoying your nominative determinism with related to your uh, chosen interest in trees as an Ash. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm going to change my name to Oak. Yes, Oak Cleary is is definitely a vibe. Yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, can you can you both give um give our listeners a little bit of uh, information on both of your backgrounds? Well, I am. Um, gosh, what am I? You know, I always struggle with this now because I'm thinking, am I? Yeah, no, I'm a journalist. I, I am still a journalist. I still write journalism and and see the value, enormous value in journalism. Um, and and now I'm also a forester. <laughs> which I which I'm introducing myself as so, yes I'm a journalist and forester amazing combo yeah um I I'm an Australian who's been living here for over 20 years um uh I've been running my own business in the events industry um uh, for most of that time um but now I'm very proudly call myself a forester too yeah. <laughs> brilliant now listen tell me how did um this interest in forestry and trees come about because before we get into what pocket forest actually does i understand your collaboration is is really quite new on this uh project yeah and yeah that word paralysis paralysis which is quite hard to say paralysis that you used in your intro you know that, that idea of just being paralyzed by Oh my God, where, you know, what are we going to do? I've been feeling that for a number of years. Um, 
which led me down the road of thinking about trees in a big way, just trying to, I, I, as a journalist, I'd covered the Millennium Tree Project. I don't know if your listeners remember, but 20 years ago at the eve of the millennium, we all got a tree or every household got a tree, which was just a really beautiful idea. I mean, there was a lot of cynicism around it and, you know, saying, oh, political stunt, yada, yada. But this idea that this tree was being planted and native Irish tree was being planted somewhere. And I loved that idea. And I kept in touch with the people behind it went to various workshops. I did kind of 10 years after the Millennium Rock Up and say, where's my tree <laughs> to Declan Little who ran the project? And he kind of said, mm, well, it doesn't quite work like that because it's a forest and, you know, there isn't an individual tree because you did get the feeling there was going to be a tree with your name on it somewhere in the forest. So that was where my tree uh, thing came from. And, and also just... I've never been a great gardener, but what I love about working with trees is you don't have to be a great gardener. You just have to give the tree a good start and then it knows what to do or or in our case, give a small forest a good start because that's where the magic really is when you're combining plants together. And I, in that way of learning at this age, just learning about this world of plants and trees has been absolutely fascinating. So I'm a complete tree geek, hugger, everything. Yeah, yeah. Paint me tree. I'm a tree. For <laughs> <Go> real. <laughs> well, we only started in, in June last year um, and it was with no plan. We just kept saying yes to things. Um, came across the tiny forest idea um, using the Miyawaki um, style of planting and just by getting enthusiastic and falling in love with trees the more that we learn and with soil actually um, and by saying yes to op- opportunities and ideas that came our way it's it's grown into um, this social enterprise um, mm. and actually completely changed the way that we look at the world. No longer feeling, although it's heartbreakingly upsetting, not feeling paralyzed, feeling like there's there's we're doing something. Before yeah, so before we get into what you guys are doing in not doing something, what is the um Miyawaki method? Um, Akira Miyawaki was a Japanese he's still alive I think he's nearly 100 now a Japanese botanist who in the 70s came up with this idea of looking at how a forest works and then trying to replicate that idea of having very tall trees lower a lower level of trees and then shrubs and ground covered plants and looked at that as being just this beautiful system where nobody has to do anything nobody has to water it nobody has to feed it it just thrives. And he, his big question as a botanist was, could you recreate this system by planting everything in one go? Um, and then that became this idea of a Miyawaki style forest. So the, as you would see in a forest that's naturally regenerating itself, these small saplings are put very closely together. Normally with, with tree, with traditional landscaping, you plant the tree with the space that it would be when it's a mature tree. So, you know, five meters apart. These are, I mean, wacky, the, the biggest difference that uh, landscapers kind of struggle with in this idea is that you plant tree three, uh, it's very hard to say, three trees, <laughs> three trees um, per square meter. So with something the size of a tennis court, you're going to get 600 trees and shrubs into that space which is holy moly it's really yeah it's really intense Mm -hmm. um but you know what cities are really intense and high rise and we need to you know we need to stop seeing that as some kind of threat uh we need to stop seeing intensely planted 
parts of a park as some kind of uh, magnet for antisocial behavior, which is one of the issues we've come up against as well. You know, there is this kind of um, the fact that you're putting this incredibly rich system and, and a lot of, as Ash was saying, a lot of what we do before we even plant is enrich the soil and make the soil or try to make the soil something approaching what forest soil would be. Um, adding in because a lot of the time we put a spade in, in soil, especially around the city, and there's nothing yeah. living in it. Um, and that's Let, a let's get part to this as well. So, Let's get to the soil in a second. So what so what Pocket Forest is doing then, what you guys are doing is that you're um, being com- hired by people to like plant these mini forests effectively or you're doing them in public space or what are you doing? Yeah, well, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> it's, it's, we've, we've done a few private um, um, uh, gardens, um, but we're we're planting primarily in public spaces at the moment. Um, we have done a few inner city schools. Um, we are doing a project with fire stations, um, yep. with the GAA clubs, um, all supported by the Woodland Fund. Um, Woodland Support Fund. Yeah, which is a yeah. Department of Agriculture funding. So originally, the idea was we would try to run a business where you buy a forest and you you pay for a forest if you like so somebody with a big garden and you know enough money can buy a pocket forest and then that would feed into a fund which would plant a forest somewhere where people don't have that kind of resource uh, it's a great model but it, we found that people with lots of money don't particularly want a messy kind of <laughs> <laughs> randomly pocket forest in their garden a lot of the time and when you go to say well let's rock up somewhere and put in a forest it's typically owned by a local authority who kind of say well maybe not so actually at the moment we're funded we, we got the biggest sort of breakthrough we got was funding from the woodland support fund which is department of agriculture trying to encourage more native woodland planting because it is shockingly low it's and, and it's falling you know, there are nurseries producing all these trees and they have to they have to mulch them at the end of the season because nobody's buying them to plant them, which breaks our hearts, you know, when you think of some of the potential there. So um, they've they, we have funding to do small, now these are really small, these are car park size um, spaces, uh, you know, with five trees and six shrubs. And they're really fun because people get all of the ideas that we're trying to get without too much backbreaking work, although it's not backbreaking at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then you have a little example of our native trees, hopefully on your doorstep, you know, so being in a forest, okay, it's it's a smaller version, much smaller version of a forest, but it's there and people know them, people can see them and, and the excitement of planting them when they're bare root uh, which is, you know, they're kind of knee high, and by the end of one or two growing seasons, they're mm-hmm. they're people high, as as happens in my um, as happening what in my we've garden. What we found and, in the city is that people don't realise that trees are small. They start <laughs> as small little saplings, um, so people don't recognise these two foot tall trees because they're only used to seeing enormous ones. Mm. Also in the schools you see the the kids will say, you're planting them together because they're only used to seeing trees on their own without. So there's so many things that this small idea and this small car parking um, to people in urban environments. Yeah. And it's it's bringing um, an experience of native woodlands to our doorsteps rather than having it 
as something that you have to go away to another county to see or or experience. I mean, we're kind of in a strange place with city trees at the moment. We had the story at the weekend about them felling trees on, on Griffith Avenue. You know, a lot of those are London planes that are a century old and they're they're going to become a problem because, you know, trees don't live forever. We're getting more storms. You know, there, there is a kind of succession problem now with how those legacy trees are going to be treated. Um, what we do and what, you know, the more we read about this, the more we work with this, the more we talk to people in forestry and in that whole field, that idea of having this really diverse mix of species is also really healthy. Not only you get way more biodiversity in terms of insects and birds, but also if there's a, a terrible fungus that attacks trees, then you don't lose everything. Mm. Or as in the case with our very mature city trees, if we suddenly get these ferocious storms, uh, you know, we don't have, we have very uh, healthy trees that have come, that have grown up in much more natural setting. You know, it's not really natural for a tree to grow up by itself. You know, yeah. a tree will try to make a forest around it at every opportunity. The only reason that these lone trees in the city aren't forests is because the, the, their seeds drop on tarmac and, and concrete. And um, so I suppose what we're trying to do is open up pockets literally in the city where that can happen. And it's not going to look um, landscapey and, you know, architect drawing-y. It's going to look like something in a scrub, which is what scrub is, is what the farmers talk about, you know, as being this thing that they're now paid to get rid of in order to create these nice green fields. But actually scrub is the beginning of the forest. And, you know, we can bring that into the city and people can understand that. You often hear um, in these kind of conversations that like everybody talks about permaculture, permaculture. What is permaculture? If you have no idea about like where to even start with this terminology. It's an idea of agriculture, but I think agriculture has become and certainly in the way that we're doing it at the moment with commodity beef and dairy, it's become a way of extracting things from the soil. So you go in and you get the most money out of your acre by um, putting on a lot of nitrogen fertilizer, by, I mean, somebody was talking to me recently about the cost of spraying off a field if it's full of docks and rushes, you spray it off, you with you know, round up, you poison everything, you reseed and you fertilize it. It costs about four grand an acre and within about probably three or four years, you're going to be back to the worst problems again. But unfortunately, that's the system that we do now with this agriculture. Permaculture is much more about trying to regenerate and trying to tap into these natural systems that don't deplete our world, um, which sounds very airy-fairy and hippie. And it is. I mean, it's it's pretty hippie, but actually it's incredibly powerful. And a, a forest system is completely self-generating. No humans need to intervene to to take things out of it or put things into it. Um, you know, I know I'm, I'm going to have to interject there and say <laughs> that is that's not hippie. <laughs> it's actually super practical, and all the things that we love: cost saving, least least amount of labor, um, producing the healthiest product. Um, I see hippie yeah. as a compliment. <laughs> I know, but people don't like it. <laughs> so I'm saying practical, because at every turn, Catherine and I, when we're questioning what we're doing or in researching what we're doing, I think, what would a forest do? So we try and have a look at what a forest is doing to grow itself. And then, and that's, there are your answers. Hmm. Yeah. Then, and there are lots of 
kind of metaphors you can make about collaboration and community and diversity and that successful ecosystems are diverse and they have, you know, they have space for everybody. And, you know, all of those, all of that idea, all of that thinking about how forests work has changed so radically. This idea that every, all the trees were competing with each other, they were, you know, the best, strongest, most, I don't know, phallic male, whatever you want to say, was the one that won. Whereas now it's a much more, um, and actually it's a really male world to Irish forestry as well. You know, there's fantastic people in it, but it, there aren't a lot of women in Irish forestry. And that's an interesting idea because there's, there's much more of a culture of, what we need to go forward together and make a lot of these problems go away or, or be fixed is collaboration and community and, uh, you know, bringing everybody uh, together again, which sounds completely happy. happy. <laughs> is it again a culture thing? Which right? is, but yes, it is. And the other idea, nugget of an idea, is that the problem is the solution. So, you know, we, have, we live in a part of the city that has, has the least amount of green space per person in the country. And that's a real our solution to that is to go gangbusters on our green space and say yeah. look we don't just want a bit of grass and some wildflowers we actually want a fucking forest in there was many of them <laughs> I think um, we want a fucking forest is a really good low, uh, like slogan <laughs> tagline for you guys but let's talk about <laughs> yeah yeah let's talk about soil for a second um, I've been growing um, vegetables for the first time for the first time in, 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 since I've lived in uh, Dublin city centre and one of the big challenges is, is soil, right? So you're, you're really battling with years of soil that has a lot of um, detritus in it, like glass, a lot of rocks, a lot of, um, you know, it requires an awful lot of composting and sieving and stuff like that. Like what is the importance of soil and how do you create amazing soil without throwing loads of crap the most well (laughs) it's so easy and it's like the most important thing and this like for me this has kind of been almost the most exciting thing because you know i come from a country where everything that is a creepy crawly is going to kill you so i'm like super squeamish about these kind of things and now i go barehanded into the soil dig around so excited to see any kind of bugs and the soil is just like the backbone of everything. Uh, it's where life comes from. And it's so easy to put it back in. We did some test plots um, um, to make sure that what we're doing is working. And we we've, we turned like the worst, you couldn't even call it soil, it was like builder's rubble, um, into this lush, beautiful brown rich smelling soil in two months pretty wow. much yeah 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 and how did you do that just with, with permaculture methods yeah. with natural like with with um compost and food waste um you can make uh, some tinctures to add to the soil um what you can you can like if you cardboard over what's existing there so say you've got weeds or grass or whatever you cardboard over that you don't take it out all that nutrients those plants die and all that nutrients goes back into the soil um you you can just do a layering system of of different types of nutrient materials and um organic materials and then that will just all seep down into into the soil and honestly the worst of the soil 
Um, we've seen change around in two months. Um, other soil we've seen turn around in four weeks. Yeah. Yeah, and the exciting thing as well is that, again, it's the kind of the problem is the solution. A lot of what we use is waste. So we use coffee grounds. We use, we've got a, a connection to one of the best composters known to man who <laughs> uh, is just a gorilla composter who collects most of the things that people throw away and turns them into compost. Um, and his compost is just like magic. Um, and would, uh, again, it's the forest system where if a branch falls in a forest, nobody picks it up. It just goes into the soil and therefore... There's an incredible um, fungal network that is created with dead wood. So dead, fresh wood is an amazing thing to put a wood chip on your garden. Um, you know, there's those many kind of ideas of a part of it is just letting go of the control thing that, you know, you go in as a, as a human gardener and you clear everything and you make a blank slate and then you plant your vegetables and they grow like Peter Rabbit's garden. And that's mm -hmm. how we, you know, that's how we've been taught to do it. Whereas if you do that, if you rotivate or, you know, dig everything over, the first thing you do is expose every weed seed that's in there to the light and it just goes, woohoo. And, you know, your beautiful garden, which will look beautiful when you first planted, is just a massive weed. So, so the letting go of that idea that you can control everything and everything is going to just be what you want in your garden, because your garden is already an ecosystem, even if it's pretty depleted one. Um, and if you can add admin i suppose a lot of what we do is just about adding more um and trying mm. to get it to then um become a healthy system yeah. where you know you're you're not pulling everything out at the end of the season i mean i'm such a huge fan of perennial plants that don't kind of you know do that arc of hope and greatness and then dying off at this time of the year um and that's where trees come into i mean trees in your garden People sort of say, I don't have space for trees, but they, they just add so much into the garden. I think so, sorry, with adding, no, go ahead, yeah. uh, with adding things to the soil, like maybe people are a bit nervous about it because I know oh, I certainly was before starting this. Um, the simplest tip of all, like with compost is, and with soil, if it smells good, you're good to go. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. If you're if you're worried about what you're putting in and whether you're going to be creating diseases or the wrong pathogens or fungus or whatever, if it smells good to you, then it's going to be good for the plants. Mm. And and that is a good tip, actually. Um, mm. And let's say I know that you say you kind of initially thought, okay, we're going to do these kind of like private garden forest type things and, and now actually you've expanded to to a, 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 a an adjacent kind of thing around public space and stuff like that in schools which is absolutely brilliant but like let's say if somebody has you know they may have um, been sitting at home for the past year and a half um, they might have an extra few quid in the bank they have a back garden um, that's like let's say your average you know kind of suburban back garden size can that person have a pocket forest? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the smallest one fits into, I, I have quite a small garden and we put a, before the wave, we put in a garden shed home office years ago. So it's even smaller now. And I have five trees and six shrubs in it. The nice thing about the trees, these native trees is that they're very, for my garden, I'm going to be pruning them to keep them to size. They're not going to grow to their full size. Um, so it's, absolutely possible in very small spaces and and the, the private clients that we worked with in the first um summer that we started 
they had very different gardens. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've gardens where the, the lovely old Dublin garden where it was a really long, it would have been an allotment garden that might have been mm-hmm. big at the end of the soil. And those gardens is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then somebody else who had just moved in and they had a very small, uh, steep garden. Um, again, part of, part of what, because we've learned a lot of, this as we go we're kind of keeping people in touch with what we're doing in our own gardens and saying look I need to prune my trees now so you probably need to have a look at yours and you know this is doable um in yeah in regular gardens it's not a kind of you don't need a vast half an acre or you know a whole estate that you're wilding (laughs) it's it can be done in very suburban areas and actually the most exciting public spaces or the most interesting public spaces i think we've been working with recently have been the kind of greens which are you know such a feature of dublin um, living and, and suburban housing estates where you have the green where all the kids play and it's brilliant and we don't we definitely don't want to push out play spaces but you've also probably got a, a smaller area that nobody really plays in or uses but somebody has to mow every week in the summer and you know they're the perfect spots for these kinds of, of plantings and you can play in a forest too you can absolutely play in a forest very happily I think um, yeah and I mean for the schools there's that lovely thing of being able to maybe have an outdoor classroom setting within your forest and just the pure excitement of doing real work as well for for kids who are involved in making them and they were the girls we worked with in, in Mercy were just so excited about it mm-hmm. Love it. So if people want to learn more or maybe hire you guys to uh, make a little forest or maybe they know of some space that where this this uh, type of of planting and growing would really work. How can they get in touch with you and how can they keep up with with um, Pocket Forests? Well, we're on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Pocket Forests. So you'll find us Pocket Forest Twitter and Instagram, and we have a website pocketforest.ie. And yeah, do get in touch because we have funding now, and we're looking for projects. So if you've got an area in your neighbourhood and you think you could fit a small pocket forest there, just get in touch with us. Brilliant, Catherine and Ash. Thank you so much. Thanks. Anna. Thanks, Anna. Well, did that inspire you? Are you going to plant a pocket forest and get some native trees in the hood? Uh, If you are interested, do log on to pocketforests.ie and get the show on the road. Or as it says on their website, get your vitamin tree. Um, But now it is time to talk about getting in the sea. Getting in the sea this week. Uh, housing again, shock horror. Uh, this week it is build to rent in general, but specifically um, uh, planning has gone in for Drumcondra, um, 1,600 rental only apartments. Um, so that means they are going to be built to rent. They will be, they're being built by Hines. Uh, they're having a big uh, scrap on Twitter with Rory Hearn about, he called them a vulture fund gave the definition of a vulture fund they're like we're not a vulture fund and he's like okay well if you're not a vulture fund what are you anyway that's a side note um so yeah 1600 rental only apartments because they're built to rent they can be different uh planning pieces they can be smaller and they don't have to have the same standards as something that you're building to buy 
banana town in itself. Um, 70% of them are going to be studio apartments and looking at 18 stories tall. Now, we do need studio apartments. More and more people are living on their own um, and that is A-OK. But the fact that we are moving towards this build to rent thing, we do need more places to rent out. But the fact that they are absentee landlords, um, which essentially is overseas institutional investors are buying up all of these things. We don't, everyone has to rent because they can't buy anywhere. There is nowhere to rent because these uh, investors are buying up the rental properties and leaving them empty so they can speculate. The rents stay high. Um, we are going backwards. I'm taking a lot of this from uh, uh, an information flyer, but it's true when you look at that we're going backwards. We've fought so long to not have absentee landlords and now we're literally uh, giving all our salaries and our wages to rental companies um, overseas and whilst initially the solution is like we need more rental properties sure Jan but the long term for our country we're given for our country we're giving all our money abroad we are, have nowhere to live the places are staying empty we're building the wrong thing seems to be the main problem like luxury housing all over the gaff is empty uh, we need affordable housing what's affordable feels like it's a meaningless word these days but luxury apartments are not where it's at no they're not being rented they're not being filled um so but it feels the speculation on them the selling of the dream of these what you can invest and what you can get your returns on rather than providing housing um so yeah bill trent nightmare There's, i think listening to the byline podcast with Killian Woods is interesting in terms of how people keep coming in and tinkering with housing policy and how that's the most detrimental because nothing's getting over the line. You've got a bit of this, a bit of that. Um, and there's no long-term plan of how to actually provide housing. Um, and there's a front page again at the weekend about, um, 500 million being given to, to developers to get them building again. Would we not just use that money to build our own houses? Anyway, Bill Trent, get in the sea. Now it is time for It's Bananas. So I have two little It's Bananas moments. First up, uh, seeing as we're on the subject of forests, um, forestry in Ireland we've talked about this before in the podcast but it was just as I was driving through the county of Clare through the forests in the highlands and forest is an unfair word because they're not forests they're literally cash crops of thick spruce with dead land underneath and as you drive through you just get to the section where the part of the forest in inverted commas has been called and it just looks like a deadland of don't you know when you watch Saving Private Ryan on the beach and you just see like all the bits of wood sticking up and everywhere and you're like this is banana town that this is what our forestry providers aka the business of forests um is allowing and yeah I think look forests 
and the constant culling, the business of resources, um, rather than create like we have the lowest, as Una said in the main part, the lowest cover of forests in in the world, um, and it's just so upsetting. In fact, I'd say it's bananas when you're driving through it, and it's you're confronting it face on of how depressing it is that it's just a rolling planting of all these trees to cut them down again bananas also bananas uh the city manager around keegan had an interview on news talk um he was talking about how having tents is not provide town people living in tents is not edgy in dublin city wow what a statement um just talking about getting rid of tents off the street as opposed to actually, you know, solutions to tackle homelessness. Um, but it did bring to light, there was a bit of a an online uproar about it all and the conversation came back to the fact that, um, as highlighted in one of his articles, that Owen Keegan gave himself a three-year-long extension of his role. No performance review, um just we have a city manager who just uh doesn't seem to care for the city um it's absolutely bananas that we're still in this position and how we'll ever see the city as anything more than an economy with no there's no vision there's no i suppose hope for the future of what our city can be it's just how can we make money again I just find it all absolutely bananas. I'm a bit depressed on Martini, but sure, look, there we go. In better news, it's time for some fave bits. Now, my fave bits this week. It's very upsetting not having someone to talk to. And just talking to myself. Um, my fave bits, the Cliffs of Mower. I finally went. Any listeners to the pod who who listen through my amazing, legendary, in fact, city fa- or county facts, uh, there, my Freudian slip, um, will know how obsessed I was with the Cliffs of Mower, how I thought they were in Sligo, how I now know they're in Clare. Uh, I went up them and had an actual panic attack. So if you are not into heights, I would say avoid the Cliffs of Mower. Top tip. Uh, Instead, go on the boat and look at them from the sea. Unless you're afraid of the sea. But that's your own business. Uh, Also, the return of changing rooms. I was obsessed with Lauren Llewellyn Bowen when I was growing up. Fancied them. Uh, I'm not too proud to say. Um, so I am absolutely buzzing. I would say a lot of my interior taste probably comes from that show. Room full of zebra. Yes, please. Uh, another fave bit, um, as part of my trip out West, um, I went to Ennis Tymon. What a gorgeous town. Um, and I just found it really interesting talking to, like as we walked through the town, the amount of coffee shops there were. It's like, and Ennis Tymon's very typical of a, of a town in Ireland. It's the main street. And there was just loads of gorgeous, bougie coffee shops. Um, and one of them was the Cheese Press, all focused on community, Irish products, locally sourced, Um Gorgeous offerings, beautiful cheeses, lovely coffee, um, loads of uh, 
like pro- little projects within it, my favorite type of shop. And I was talking to the barista who was super sound, gave me an extra marshmallow, shout out to him, um, about how many coffee shops there were. And he's like, like, when we counted them, there was about nine on one street. It's like, yeah, there used to be 52 bar or pubs. And a couple of weeks ago, there was only one pub open. And it just kind of shows you the flip. I think it's really interesting of how towns seem to be moving away from being so pub-centric that there is the coffee shop uh, potential and that people are meeting up more for coffees and how a lot of the time for maybe an older male generation, it would have been like not a chance to go and to, to meet someone for a coffee. There would have been a few raised eyebrows or whatever, ghastly. Um, but yeah, it seems to be coffee culture is more of a thing and that you don't have to go for a pint to be able to have that connection with other men or whatever. So it's just interesting. Uh, beautiful town. Definitely worth a visit. And the cheese press coffee and toasty was delish. Uh, also delish, hen's teeth in Dublin 8. It's just such a luxury to have a gorge little place around the corner from your house where you can have a lovely dinner. They have beautiful food. Um, shout out to their vegetarian options. I always have to do that now because as a vegetarian, are you even a vegetarian if you don't even talk about it? I don't think so. Uh, another fave bit, Annie Mac mural by Emma Blake was done uh, for No More Hotels at the Shaw. Um, we wanted to, I suppose, do a little homage to Annie for everything she's done for clubbing, um, for female broadcasters, um, inspiring more women to get into the rave scene. Um, her quote about if you like the music you got to get up and dance we thought it was a bit poignant given that the state our entertainment uh, sector is in and when it does come back the onus is going to be on us to show up because if there's not people paying in on the door if there's not people dancing on the dance floors it's not going to be viable and if we want a scene to survive we have to be there to keep it going so when you have the opportunity, you're doing it for the good of humanity. Get up on that dance floor. Get up and dance. Uh, I listened to a podcast by M. Scanlon. Um, he's an architect about what buildings, what do buildings do all day is what it's called. Um, and there was an episode with Jeanette Lowe about community, which I found really interesting and in how building, has, building housing does not have to be expensive um, you can build really good, beautiful housing. Have a listen. What do buildings do all day? Or I recommend it. Also, oh my goodness, I made a hangover board. How this has not been a thing before. It was a like like a cheese board, a grazing board, except with everything you would like for a hangover. So there's like Nutella and toast, some meanies, some corn snacks, hot lips, I think were in there, some cheese on delicious crackers. Like, don't you know when you're in the when you're hungover you're not in the mood of like a big dinner a big feed you just want to pick at things a little picky here a little picky there delicious um i would highly recommend it's on my twitter and instagram if you want to have a look at it and if you want to be inspired by it because frankly i think it's the best thing i've ever come up with um and another thing that's good is eco eye um, are, have suggested a tv series that looks at vacant properties and dereliction throughout ireland um if there's any TV producers or TV makers here, that would be such a good program and really shine a light on how much property there is there that is being left alone to to 
reach a state of dereliction for property speculation pricing, um, the amount of vacant properties there are, how if we don't start tackling that, we'll never solve our housing crisis, um, basically. So we could make a little TV show, that'd be fab. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us this tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack and Sarah Fox did all of our design. This week's tuna chicken roll, Claptone, Stronger. It's a 10 snake remix. I always talk about songs. This one doesn't really have it, but 10 snake is the king of the horse riding song. Did you know a song that has a gallop in it that you feel like you're kind of horse riding when you're dancing? My favorite type and 10 snake is the king of that. But this is his remix of Stronger by Clapton in a very Clapton moment at the moment. Um, highly recommend. Let me know what you think. Is it a banger? Is it a tuna chicken roll? I'd like to hear your feedback. I have been Andrea Horan. Una has been Una Malali on her holidays. This has been United Ireland. And that was Pocket Forests.
Save me. 